Hey, before we get to our show, we want to tell you about the NPR One app for your phone. Imagine going to a restaurant and the waiter, instead of handing you a, a menu of different food items, he instead hands you a list of different restaurants you can visit. That's what we're doing now. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've clearly you've made a choice about where you wanted to eat tonight, and your waiter, uh, which is NPR, is telling you in, in every way it can think of that uh, really the food, the food there has uh, gone bad and was never good in the first place. Instead, with NPR One, you can find hand-curated podcasts, other podcasts, uh, and stories that are always ready when you are. Find them on NPR One. Get out of this restaurant. Uh, there, I, I actually saw uh, a weasel in the kitchen um, wearing a chef's hat. Go anywhere. Go, go over to the Hidden Brain. It's uh, really great frites. Yeah, great appetizers there. And free water. Find it on your app store, N-P-R-O-N-E. A couple weeks ago, Ian took a trip to Stockholm, and when he came back, he wouldn't stop talking about this museum he went to uh, built around an old 17th century ship that sank. Yeah, it's it sank on its maiden voyage, uh, and then about 50 years ago, they brought it up, uh, put it on, on shore, and built a museum around it, and you can walk all around it and look at it. And it sounds great. Based on your descriptions, it sounds great. So I do feel like I'm underselling it. Anyway, we were up on the top floor of this museum, and you're looking down at this 400-year-old ship. And there, on, on the deck of the ship, there appeared to be a few pairs of bowling shoes. On the line with us now is Fred Hocker. He's the research director there at the Vasa Museum. So, Fred, can you explain these shoes? Well, those are actually very expensive, high-tech uh, conservation worker shoes uh, that took us a long time to develop. I- I'm kidding. They are bowling shoes. <laughs> that uh, all of us who work on board the ship, uh, we can't wear our normal sweet street shoes because there's, there'll be grit stuck in the soles. Uh, and we don't want to grind that into the deck because the ship is almost 400 years old and we're walking on the original deck planks. And so we had a a staff outing one day, uh, which is a kind of tradition in in Sweden, where you go and do something social with each other to uh, foster a team spirit. And it was a bowling day. So we were at a bowling alley and several people noticed the same thing. and said, you know, these shoes are pretty comfortable. And the soles are flat, and but they grip okay. I wonder if they'd work. It's really brilliant because you know, I, I you think who who made a shoe that was designed to protect something made of wood planks? It's it's the people who invented bowling shoes, and and it works for for the Vasa as well. Yeah, well, because you know the bowling alley has kind of the same requirement. It hadn't never occurred to us to to go that way, uh, but it turned out that. It, they work just fine. And so uh, everyone who works on board regularly gets a pair of shoes. And you put your initials on them, and people draw designs on them so you can tell whose or whose. We even managed to work a deal with a local bowling alley who, give it to, who gives them to us at a discount. Really? Yeah. Have other museums taken advantage of this discovery? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't actually know. Um, I've seen other peculiar solutions. If you ever go to the Hermitage in uh, St. Petersburg. They have these gorgeous marble floors. And to avoid having people scar them up with the grit off their shoes, they, they give you shoe covers that look like mops. 
And so all the, the visitors, the millions of visitors who go through there are also polishing the floor as they go. No way. Yeah. So has it, have you ever had a visitor drop something that landed on the ship? Oh, that happens all the time. Yeah? Uh, well, what they usually do, though, is they throw things from the upper, uh, the gallery next to the upper deck. Uh, and so we regularly, when you go on board, you go on paper airplane patrol. Really? Yeah, because people, we have a little folder that you can get down by the guide desk that shows you around the museum, and it's the perfect kind of paper to make a paper airplane out of. Have you ever thrown a paper airplane uh, onto the ship? Uh, at a staff party once we had a contest. Really? Yeah. How'd you do? That's all I'm saying. No, um, well, I mean, it's it's nice. It's a big volume of air, and it's still... So you can get an airplane, a paper airplane, to go a long way in there. Yeah. So. When you um, when you walk out on the the uh, into the ship or or on the ship, it, at this point, is it just you know I'm here to do the work I need to do, or do you think about what it is that that you're walking on? Well, I've I've been working at the museum for 13 years now, um, and I have to say that I still get a thrill every time I step across the bridge onto the ship. It, it, it's it's something you can't I can't do anywhere else. It's to step into an intact environment from the 17th century, because the, more than 98 percent of the ship is original material. Uh, there's very very little new material or restoration work, uh, and so you're experiencing the inside of the ship in a lar- in, to a large degree the same way the King of Sweden did or one of the crew did uh, 388 years ago. And so that's uh, that's a lot of fun every time I do it. I, and it's always better than sitting in front of my the computer on my desk. Yeah. Well, Fred, uh, thanks a lot. Sure. It's now the part of our show where we like to stop, take a break, and tell you about uh, our sponsors. And this week, that's SeatGeek. It's an app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek reminds you that scalpers could stab you. By doing all the work for you, SeatGeek saves you both time and money and stabbings. They're currently offering listeners a $20 rebate off their first purchase, which you could use to uh, buy uh, gauze from any previous stabbings. Just keep a lot of pressure. Put a lot of pressure on it. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code EVERYTHING. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. That's $20 cash. Hey, Ross, what can we help you with? Uh, Well, I was wondering, if I were sprinting on a moving sidewalk in an airport, would I be able to go fast enough to compete with Usain Bolt? I mean, how fast would I have to be in order to be competitive on a moving sidewalk? You, because, uh, like, although he is so much faster than the next fastest guy, you're still talking about milliseconds, you know? So, like, this, a little bit of advantage from a, um, from I, I was about to say a mediocre sprinter. Would you describe yourself as a mediocre sprinter? Um, on my best day. Okay. I've I mean, always been slow, and that's kind of what got me thinking about this. 
Okay. So Usain Bolt just completed was the 100 meters. Mm-hmm. And how fast did 10 seconds or something like that? Uh, under. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Nine then, something. Uh, Ross, what's your fastest 100 meters? <laughs> I'd put it probably somewhere around 14 or 15 seconds. Okay. I haven't really, I haven't really tried, but I should go out and get a baseline. I, I do. Uh, your question makes, I, I see in my head the Olympic Stadium and there's the eight lanes of the 100-meter final. But lane eight, they could make into a moving sidewalk and bring down one lucky fan from the crowd. That would be great. I think just to be fair, I think it would probably be good to put a couple passengers there with, with suitcases on the moving sidewalk. You could do the hurdles. Yeah. We, so I think, I think uh, as we research this, um, we do need a kind of baseline. So you're saying 14 seconds or so for, okay. is your non-moving sidewalk 100-meter dash time. That's pretty good, right? Is 14 seconds pretty good? No, it's not. Okay. Sounds horrible. I don't even know. Okay. We're going we're gonna to investigate, and um, hopefully you're going to come home with a medal. <laughs> that would be great. Okay. Uh, online with us now is the perfect person to help with this question. It's our resident mathematician, Mike Nothnagel. He also teaches math at uh, the CIA. That's the Culinary Institute of America. Not the Central Intelligence. Actually, I don't know if it is a Central Intelligence Agency. Maybe it would be it a is. weird. It would be a weird cover if uh, maybe in the heat of the moment one time he didn't want to reveal that he was with the CIA, but he blurted out the CIA. Yeah. So, Mike, uh, if Ross were running on a moving walkway, could he beat Usain Bolt? Well, the short answer is no. Okay. The longer answer is if he can do the hundred meter dash in about fourteen seconds, that's about seven point one ish meters per second. Okay. And if a typical moving walkway is about 1.4 miles per hour, I converted that, that's about 0.6 meters per second. So if he's on the moving walkway doing his 100 meter dash pace, he ends up going 7.7 meters per second. The, the walkway gives him that little extra velocity. Mm-hmm. Usain Bolt, on the other hand, so his 100-meter dash time in the 2016 Olympics was 9.8 seconds. So that's about 10.2 meters per second. Wow. Okay, so what is the time on the clock? What is Ross's finishing time in this 100-meter dash using the moving walkway? Oh, okay. Let's see. So seven. So 100 meters on the moving walkway at 7.7 meters per second. His finishing time would be... Almost exactly 13 seconds, just under 13 seconds. So he only gains a second when he's on yeah. the moving walkway. Yeah, 1.4 miles an hour isn't very fast. He's gaining like two feet per second, mm. which is not a lot. Really, nobody, it sounds like nobody makes their plane because the moving sidewalk helped them. It's really, it's just kind of an illusion of speed. It is. And to go as fast as Usain Bolt did in that race, Ross would need to be on a moving walkway that was going about 3.1 meters per second. Okay. Which is about seven miles an hour. And also twice as fast as the current moving walkway speeds. Uh, yeah, more than twice as fast as the current one, yeah. Mike, uh, this is maybe... Uh difficult, but just some back-of-the-envelope calculation. How close does Ross get to Usain Bolt if Usain Bolt is running the 100-meter dash, dragging a rolling suitcase? 
<laughs> well, let's see. I would bet that a rolling suitcase. Let's even figure out how much. It, you know what? I, I was going to look up how much a rolling suitcase weighs, but I don't think it's going to matter. Uh, I bet the answer would be negligibly closer. <laughs> okay. Mike, uh, thank you so much. I, we are always impressed with um, your ability to do these calculations. You're welcome, guys. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I learned that uh, old ships have many of the, the same needs as bowling alleys. The, uh, you know, they need their wooden decks to be protected. Yeah. Well, it does. It also, but it, it kind of makes you wonder then if, uh, if you were at sea and you were bored, if you could go bowling on the deck of the ship. Yeah, you could use the head of um, one of the mutinous sailors. Oh yeah. 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 Take out the eyes and the mouth for the thumb, and then that's your that's the good bowling ball. Yeah, and uh, the pins, I guess. Uh, Ten peg legs. That's perfect. Yeah. Ten of your crew are not going to be able to participate in the bowling. It's hard to bowl when you don't have your peg leg screwed in. Yeah. But, you know, it's a big ship. Yeah. That's 10 people who can keep score, and then next time they get to play. And I wonder, I wonder if that's what... It, so, like, because you think about pirate ships, or I guess any ships, they're always like, all right, swab the deck. I wonder if the next part of that is, because we're going to go bowling. There's that one guy who can throw the, the curve. Call him Scurvy Curvy. Because he also has scurvy. How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Megan. Megan did a great job logging all of the dolphin clicks in this week's show. Oh, and dolphin whistles, too. I, I feel like at this point we should um, go back and insert a dolphin click at some point in this episode. And uh, if you heard it, you probably got to this point wondering what was going on. Yeah. Why that happened. You know what? I'll put it in, let's put it in the SeatGeek funding credit. I mean, we could also do an interview with a dolphin. We could do, do that now. Why, Dolphin, from your perspective as someone in the water, why did the, what made the Vasa sink? Was it poorly constructed? Was it rough on the seas that day? I know from my time at the Vasa Museum that um, there is some dispute about what brought down that, that great ship. Well, Dolphin, uh, thank you so much for talking to us about this. Send us your questions. You can send them to us at howto at npr.org. Dolphin, why don't you give them the website? I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, our time here with you has come to an end. But there's still lots out there you can listen to, including Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. The number one archery podcast on National Public Radio. But it's not just bows and arrows. Jesse also interviews famous people like Elvis Costello, Rashida Jones, and Mike Judge. About their various perspectives on archery and uh, occasionally darts. Find Bullseye now on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash archerypodcasts.